Well, welcome to episode 46 of the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership. I'm Tim Barnes. And I'm Nathan Ruby. Well, unfortunately, Nathan, we don't live in a perfect world. And if we did, every small to medium nonprofit executive director would be an expert in the following governance, administration, marketing, program, fundraising, finance, and we would look like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. Wait a minute, Nathan, who wrote this in the script? Did you put those names in there? (laughs) I did. That's kind of exciting, wasn't it? Well, as we all know, life is not fair, and most of us are lacking in one or more of the above categories. And that's our purpose at the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership, to provide some ideas and information and support, and maybe a laugh or two, um, as we help you in your role as a nonprofit leader. Today, we're going to talk about program evaluation. Program evaluation is one of those things that must be done in order to maximize the vision and mission of your organization. The problem is it is very easy not to do. Often it's because executive directors don't really understand it or don't have confidence in actually carrying it out correctly. So today we are going to share four simple steps that will have you evaluating like a pro. Well, that sounds good. And I'm excited about the chance to uh, to work through this topic. Before we do that, I just wonder, Nathan, a quick word on last week's episode. I really appreciate you filling in while I was while I was out last week. Um, but what did you cover? You went solo on this last week. I did. I did. And it didn't even hurt. Um, <laughs> so last week I talked about who you as the executive director, who you are responsible to. Now we all know who we are responsible for and we know who we report to, but who are we responsible to is just as important and maybe even more so. Well, I listened to it and I thought it was really good. I think I took a couple notes as well. And so I would just highly recommend you guys checking it out if you haven't listened to it. So, okay, here we go with a program evaluation for dummies. Why don't you dive in there, Nathan, and get us started. Yeah, and and the title, uh, the program evaluation for dummies, I I added the dummies in there specifically for me. Uh, this uh, This is not my strong suit. This is not something that comes natural or easy for me. Uh, I have learned more and more and more about this over the years. And Tim, I know you, you're much more uh, adept at this than I am, and, but I know you're learning on, on this as well. So here are four simple steps to make you a better evaluator. Number one, establish clear outcomes. What is it specifically that you are trying to evaluate? So it could be something like we want to increase the number of people who visit the exhibit by determining what is the best evening to be open. Okay. So in that case, the, I know when we do events, it, it, there's always a question of, well, what night are we, what night are we going to do this on? What's the best opportunity putting ourselves in the best position to have the biggest turnout. And if you do multiple things. If you only do one a year, it's, it's kind of hard to test that. But if you are an art gallery and you are doing multiple shows throughout the year, you can test that and see which day works better than another. But you have to do uh, collect data on that and you have to do an evaluation on that. So it could be something that's pretty cut and dry, like what day do we get the most people? 
that's an opportunity. Uh, another uh, type of evaluation is, uh, for an example, we want to increase our end user satisfaction by 10%. Now, that was actually one that I was involved in several years ago at an organization that I, uh, that I worked at. And the organization was actually a homeless shelter. And what, what we were trying to accomplish was when we had people checking in for the first time, coming into the, uh, to the organization, into the building, and it could be, one o'clock in the afternoon, it could be 2 a.m., it could be 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning because it, it was open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But often the people coming in for the first time, it was probably one of the worst days of their lives. They were in often in some type of trauma. They had some type of, uh, of emotional snap or break that had taken place. It, it was probably the single most impactful night of their lives. And what we were trying to do was to improve that process, to make it a little bit more compassionate, to show a, to, to have a little more dignity to it, to make it even just, if we could just make it 10% better on the person coming in, then that just makes their experience that much better. Well, Nathan, I think it's important to, again, emphasize what we're trying to do here in this is to establish clear outcomes. Why, you know, are you are you um, accomplishing your mission and how are you able to figure out if you're doing that? What are the outcomes you're looking for and how are you going to how are you going to measure them? How are you going to evaluate them? And I've heard I've heard the the uh, quote that says what gets measured gets done. And I would add to that if that's true then make sure you're measuring the right things. Make sure the right things are getting done. And so it's really important to think about, okay, what are the outcomes we're going to go for and how are we going to determine if those outcomes are actually taking place? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you could, identifying what it is that you actually are trying to learn you know, it's, it's kind of like going on a road trip and if you're leaving Chicago and you're going to Dallas, and you're in a brand new Corvette and you're, you're averaging 80 miles an hour, you're going, you're going really fast. But if you're heading North out of Chicago towards the Canadian border, you're going the wrong way. You know, you're going fast, but you're not going to where you want to go. So, so another piece of establishing clear outcomes is don't try and do too much. Don't try and do too much at one time. And there's a, there's a phrase that I've, gosh, I heard, first heard this phrase years and years ago, and it's called don't boil the ocean or trying to boil the ocean. And obviously, if you were trying to boil the ocean, that is pretty much an impossible thing to do. And that's the point of the expression is when you're trying to do too much or something that's too complex. You know, if you are a executive director of a nonprofit and it's you and you have a halftime admin person and a program person that's a volunteer, but works a lot. And it's just the three of you. Well, you, you know, you, you're not going to be able to do a report that's 200 pages long. You know, that's probably a bit, a bit much. So don't try to do too much at one time and then just focus on incremental steps. So we want to we do X, okay? So you, you determine that, and then X plus, 
and then X plus plus. And over time you build it and, and you do a little bit at a time until finally you get to the end of, of the, if whatever information that you're looking for. So don't try to do too much at one time. And then the third piece of establishing clear outcomes is focus on the solution, not the problems itself. So if you are measuring your program, obviously there is something that you want to do better or more efficiently or more often, whatever it is that you're trying to do, there's, there's a problem that you're trying to solve. And what this says is that focus on the solution rather than the problem itself. And there's a really good uh, example of this, and it's in the movie Moneyball. And I think maybe we've referenced this before, Tim. I don't know. But it is a great scene, uh, and the scene is called What's the Problem? And you can YouTube it. Just search Moneyball, What's the Problem? And it'll come up. Um, one word of caution. There is one really bad word in the uh, in the clip. So just, you know, if you're at work and around people, you may want to turn your sound down so it's not so loud. Uh, but it is a great clip because there's a group, a team meeting, and most of the team is focusing on the problem itself. And the team leader is focusing on the solution on, on the, how are they going on? How are they going to fix the problem as opposed to what the problem is? It's a great clip. You'll totally understand this concept after you watch that clip. So Nathan, I wonder, you know, maybe this is the point too, where we talk about, we don't do program evaluation to be able to do a program evaluation. You know, we don't live to write reports, <laughs> but what we do want to know is if we're effective and if we're actually doing the things that we say that we're supposed to be doing. And so it's so important to have those clear outcomes lined up there so that you know, the, the, the goal is not to report. The goal is that you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And one of the greatest ways to increase revenue for your organization is to have, be able to share with your donors exactly how you are impacting people's lives, exactly how you're changing lives, saving lives. The more clear you are in being able to communicate that, the more revenue will follow. And this is a phenomenal step in being able to provide that information to your donors is, is through these program evaluations. So absolutely. So we have our clear outcomes. What yep. do we do then? All right. Next thing we do is we have to create our data tools. So we have to collect data and there are two types of data that you would need to collect to do a program evaluation. And the first one is called quantitative and quantitative uh, data is when you are trying to answer the question, what or how many? So for instance, how many people did we serve a meal to last month? Or how many animals were adopted last quarter? So those are, are not always cut and dried, but a little more on the cut and dried side of, uh, this is a number. We have, we distributed 697 backpacks, you know, whatever a, a, a defined total is. That is what quantitative uh, data is. The second type, yeah, go ahead, Tim. Sorry, one of the things I was to say is an example of what we do. One of the things that we have done is we have provided shelters for people who have been forcibly displaced. They are actually internally displaced in their country, but they are not being supported by their government or by other things. And their housing situation is terrible. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And so, We've been able to provide, you know, uh, 
two or 300 shelters uh, for them. And so we're able to measure that. We're saying our goal is to provide shelter for them where they don't have it. And we're able to kind of count and say, we've done, you know, 200 shelters. So that's, that's a example of a, of a quantitative thing that we can measure. How many shelters have you put, put up? Not always, but sometimes collecting that data is a little easier. The process is easier than the next type of data, which is qualitative. And qualitative is trying to determine qualities or characteristics. So often they, they involve open-ended questions. Uh, common way would be like on a questionnaire. So how did our program change your life? Well, what was it, what was it like experiencing our adoption process? So those are questions that the, the, the end user, the people that you are interviewing, they can answer, but it's hard to put a number on that. You know, you could, you could have a, you know, and you've probably all seen these questionnaires before, you know, unsatisfied is one and most satisfied is five and somewhere in between there. And, and that's, that's probably more on the, on the quantitative side. Uh, and it, it kind of gets to qualitative, but a true qualitative questionnaire or data is when you are getting open-ended feedback from the people that you're, that you're talking to. And, and that's often where you get your stories, right? That you're able to share with your donors. And yeah, you, know, absolutely. It's, you can't necessarily say it's X, Y, Z, but you can talk about the impact. Yeah. And often I, the when you're doing these programs, these program evaluations, it's not either or. This is not a question is, oh, well, which one should I do? Qualitative or quantitative? You really need to do both because you need both sides of the pictures. You need numbers, but then you also need experiences as well. And putting those two together gives you a much better picture than just one or the other, um, which I just gave myself a really great segue into the next component, which is analyzing the data. So, you know, this episode, we called it the program evaluation for dummies. And besides that, it was dummies was for me. Uh, but, you know, we got you have to keep that in mind when you're anal when you talk about analyzing the data. For me, let's just take me, for example, when I am analyzing the data, I am going to do it at a much different level than a PhD in mathematics. So you have to take that into account and you have to give yourself the grace or the approval to, you know, do what you can do the best you can with the, with the data you have, and then keep moving on. I just, I, I just, I don't want you to get so bogged down in the data that you don't do anything because you overanalyze it too much. But here's a couple of ideas for you. One is keep it simple. All right. <laughs> Look at the data. And I know looking at the data might be like, duh, Nathan, that that's pretty obvious. If I'm going to go to all the effort of designing this and creating a data sheet and have my volunteers fill this out when they're working with our end users and somebody's going to write up the report and then they're going to give it to me. And then, yeah, obviously I would look at it. Well, it doesn't always happen that way. And I have had, I have experienced a number of executive directors who go through that same process. And when the data comes, they actually never get around to reading it. So sit down, go off site somewhere, wherever you go for quiet time, sit down and study the data, study what the results were. Another big part of this is after you've studied it, go ask questions, ask questions of the people who collected the data. 
uh, go talk to, to some of the end users yourselves and, you know, talking to the people who collected the data, this applies to both frontline staff, if they're staff or if they're volunteers. And I think this actually applies more to volunteers, you know, sitting down with the data you collected and the volunteer who collected it, uh, and just having them give you the feedback of how did it go? Was the, was the experience that when you were filling out the questionnaire with the end user, was that a positive one? Uh, what other things did you glean from those conversations that are maybe not on the, the data sheet? I think, yeah, those are a little, t- can be time consuming and you don't have to go do every single volunteer. But I think if you sat down with two or three, it would give you a whole nother, uh, a whole nother view of what the data, of what data you're reading. Nathan, one of the questions that I, I often ask, even before I start talking to other volunteers, is it sounds silly, but I ask the question, what what's the story the numbers are telling me? Because oftentimes we just look at numbers, but numbers tell a story and they, they help us understand what's going on. And so being able to say, hey, what story is coming out of these numbers, I think is a really important question to ask. And my notes here, I, I've got just my my outline says study it. And after reading the data, after after identifying what the story is, I think you've got to spend a, an amount of time, a correct uh, amount of time just processing it. And there's when I was growing up, my dad, whenever he would come in, in the room, and this was especially this would especially happen to us when my sisters and I were watching Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, this was back when there were Saturday morning cartoons on network TV. And his question to us was always, are you producing or are you consuming? And the correct answer with my dad was always producing. Now, it got to be a little hard to to uh, describe how we were producing when we were sitting on the couch watching TV, but we were producing. That is always, always the correct answer. And I, I do office out of my home and I have a, a chair in the back behind me in the corner and that is, I call that my thinking chair. And I will sit in that chair when I read or if I'm, uh, if I'm just thinking. And often I will be there and I will be thinking and I won't even have anything in my hands. And one of my, and my kids have heard all of these stories from you know, their grandfather. And so one of the kids will walk by and say, dad, are you producing or consuming? And I say, I'm producing. And my kids say, you're just sitting there. And I say, no, I'm thinking spend some time on this, give it, give it your best thought, give it your best concentration. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be amazing what you can identify through that. If you just give it time to percolate inside of you. All right. So now we know that we're going to, we've established clear outcomes. We have created the data tools. We've analyzed the data tools. Now it comes time. And this is the last piece. And that is making intentional changes. And you know it as well as Tim and I, change is never easy. Uh, even for people who like change, to like to do things differently, it, it's not everybody likes change. And so getting everybody on board to make a change can be really difficult. And I was reading a, a book, uh, it was Alan Duchman's, Duchman's book, Change or Die, the three keys to change at work and in life. And in his research, he found that only one of nine people, uh, one of nine will make a lifestyle change 
So meaning, you know, going on a diet, starting an exercise program, giving up sugar, whatever it is, um, only one out of nine will change their lifestyle even after they are told that they could prolong their life, restore their health, and even reverse diabetes, hypertension, and heart disease. Only one out of nine. And that's if they're told that they should do that. Changing a program inside your organization will be much easier and much more simple if you have gone through these steps and you can show the data that 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 shows to the your frontline staff or your volunteers or whoever is doing the work of your program that hey this is this is where we were this is what the evaluation was this is what the numbers showed us this is what the stories show us and based on that these are the changes that we're going to make so that we produce a better output it is way easier to get people on board with that if you have gone through that process and you know, change for change sake is never a positive. Well, in my experience, it never comes out positive. If you're just changing something to change something, uh, but intentional change that has an opportunity to radically change your organization and it's worth the effort. Nathan, let me ask you from your perspective. Um, and I know you guys have just gone through this process. You're, you're kind of in the middle of this. So you're speaking, as this kind of happens in your organization, but how how often do you think you should go through this process? Is this kind of a quarterly? Is this you know a yearly thing from from your perspective? Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question, and we are right in the middle uh, of doing some pretty significant program evaluations. Uh, our organization has not been the best at doing those in the past, and. So it's, it's been a, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you go lift out, lift weights in, in the uh, gym, the first time, you know, you don't have massive, uh, uh, increase in muscles the first time it, it takes several times to do it. So we're getting better at it and, and we're starting to get some really good results out of our evaluations that are giving us the data we need to make good decisions. So I think it really depends well, here's my answer, Tim. It depends, uh, as so often the answer is. But I think it's how large of an organization you are, how many different programs you have, how interconnected the programs are, what type of staffing slash volunteer base do you have? Do you have the resources to do those? Um, but I, I would say I don't think it ever necessarily stops. I think you 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 come up with what you want to evaluate. You define it. You go through the steps that we talked through today, you make an adjustment, and then I think it it kind of like a rising tide raises all ships. The more you do this, the more the better you get at it, and the more you actually want to do it because you have more confidence, you feel better, you see an improvement in the program. So it's like, hey, let's do that again. So I don't think it's necessarily that you have to do it continuously, but I think you kind of generally morph into that over time. Uh, but I would say, you know, at least once a year, you want to be going to your programs and saying, okay, what, what, what are we going to look at? What needs to be, what, what could we make better? So I would think at least once a year, if not more often than that. And I think there's, you know, as you go along, I agree, you're, you're trying to 
stay in touch. You're trying to make sure that you're actually doing what you're you're supposed to. So there should be some built-in evaluation of the things you're doing to make sure you're on the right you're on the right path. But lest you feel like it's too much work, I think there's two things I would say. One is it helps you really understand if you're doing what you say you're doing by being able to evaluate that, having those things in place. And I think also if you are planning on raising funds to do the work you're doing, you're going to need to be able to have that information. You're going to need to be able to communicate how you are changing lives, how you are impacting lives. And if you don't evaluate, you know, you don't have that detail to be able to provide. Yeah, absolutely. Without question. And the larger, the bigger gifts that you go after, um, the the more important that is. You know, if, if you're going to a, a, a foundation for a six figure gift, or if you're going to a local philanthropist for a, you know, mid to large five figure gift, they're going to ask those questions. And so you, you, you need to have that information for them and they're going to want it. They, you don't have to be perfect and don't, don't take the, don't get out of this, that this is a, uh, a drive to be perfect to perfection. Cause you're never going to get there. Tim's never going to get there. I'm never going to get there. You're never going to get there. But what your donors want to see is they want to see that you have a process in place to get incrementally better over time. That's what they're looking for. And when you can walk up and say, yeah, we're doing that. And here's, you know, here's the last one that we did. This is what we looked at. This is the data. This is, uh, you know, the change that we made. They, they not only will they, that check that box for that donor, they will be impressed by you as an organization. Nathan, thank you for sharing that and putting those thoughts out there. And hopefully you've been encouraged. So thanks for listening today. We appreciate you showing up. If you're benefiting from what is being shared on this podcast, we'd like to ask you to share a review on the platform that you're listening to. And just mention what's being helpful for you. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information can be found in our show notes. That's all for today. Until next time.